Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Points of Insanity Game Studios, Geekery in General Podcast. Now, long-time listeners of the show, you know that every now and then I talk about martial arts. I've been practicing martial arts on and off for about, well, since 1994. I've uh, had some experience with Tang Sudo, Tiger Claw Kung Fu, American Freestyle Karate, Anayan Eskrima, and currently I'm studying a martial art called Kung Nu. But all of my martial arts training is nothing compared to the my guest that I have today. He is a black belt in 17 different martial arts, five of which are so exclusive you've never even heard of them before. And in the underground fight circles, he is known as the Crusader of Catastrophe, the Demon of Destruction. But I like to call him Chad. I like to call myself the Mischief Mohawk. Or the Mohawk of Mischief. How about that? That that sounds pretty good. And um and you know, I said we're recording this on Skype as we usually do, and looking over Chad's shoulder, he made sure to uh point out this creepy antique doll and uh over his shoulder. So if um Chad starts jumping and screaming during the episode today, it's probably because the doll fell by itself and uh I would see it too. So you'd probably be jumping and screaming too. Yes, I would. So if we jump and scream, it's because the creepy antique doll fell. Actually, you want to hear a really creepy story like that? Sure. This was years ago. I was, uh, I was still at home. My parents were not divorced yet, but we were watching this exorcism on TV. I don't know if you remember when 60 minutes or one of those night shows did an exorcism. Actually, I think I do. I remember seeing a couple of those when I was younger. So we're watching this exorcism, and when the priest on TV goes, be gone or get out or whatever he said, I can't remember. My mother had these plates painted when we were babies that had each of us, you know, each of the babies with the weights and the dates and all that kind of stuff. And then they had one that was uh, for her wedding, for the wedding, her her and my dad. Now, this was before they got divorced. Um, this might even have been before they started fighting, but um, all four, he's like, demon out, and all four of these plates fall off the wall in the living room, crash Holy to the crap. floor. The only one that breaks, and it breaks right between the bride and groom, is my mother and father's wedding plate. That is some freaky ass shit. Right? <laughs> exactly. It was a taste of things to come, huh? I I guess. Well, and anyways, so today we're going to do another two geeks, one film, and uh, caught this one on Netflix, The Flying Guillotine. And did, you before, see they, did you see they have The Flying Guillotine 2? Yes, we can do that as a, a future review. Oh, if we have to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm starting to think you probably didn't really like the movie, but we'll, we'll talk about that. So Yeah, and, yeah. And before I begin, there is a little bit of nudity in the film, some toplessness. So if you decide you want to watch this movie, um, you know, like I said, just be aware in case you want to keep that away from the kids. But anyways. It's nipple for like three seconds, Al. Yeah, it's not. Well, some people are really puritanical about that. Well, that's true. And I guess this was filmed in 75. Yeah. So, So by those standards, that was probably a lot of nudity. Yeah, that's that's true. So it was filmed by the Shaw Brothers. And as you may recall, many episodes ago, we did a review on 
the Five Venoms, which is also a, another one of the Shaw Brothers films. And Let's rewind the tape and see what Chad thought. Wait, it sucked. You the didn't Five like Venoms. it? No. I'm pretty okay. sure I gave it a bad review. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to go back and re-listen to that episode because I don't remember how you reviewed it. I mean, I liked it. so Yes, you did. Must be the kung fu practitioner in me. But anyways, so in this movie... Uh, one thing that is interesting about the uh, the flying guillotine, it is actually a historical weapon, or at least it was said to have existed. Uh, there's some crude sketches of what it may have looked like, but uh, so, but the MythBusters did actually test uh, the flying guillotine concept, and they were able to deem it as something that, in theory, could be done. So, so they gave it a plausible. They gave it a plausible, so there's just not really much of a historical record as to how it was used or exactly what it looked like. But Not to um, mention that they don't pay the interns enough to be guillotined. <laughs> that's true. That would... You'd have to pay <laughs> someone a lot to be guillotined. Welcome to Bone Thrower's Theater. Nah, it's not that kind of show. It's an RPG actual play podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined by our fun-loving cast. This is Aaron. Jeff here. Johnny is my name. And I'm Jeremy. And what we do is dive in and play various tabletop RPG systems and games, such as Mini 6, Fiasco, Inspectors, Monster of the Week, Fate, and more. But no matter the rule set or setting, some pretty intense storytelling hits the fan. So whether you like epic fantasy, adventure, comedy, sci-fi, horror, or just horrifically bad puns, we've got something to feast your imagination on. Listen to our full episodes and more at BoneThrowersTheater.com. And may the bones fall ever in your favor. So it takes place during the reign of an emperor, and I personally found this movie a little harder to follow than Five Venoms, and it's because for me, I just had a hard time keeping the name straight. Because at yeah, least... I have no idea of names to be honest with you. Yeah, and at, at least with the Five Venoms, you could kind. Of, it was easier to refer to them. It's like that's Toad, that's Lizard, that's right. You know, I forgot the other ones. Uh, but anyways, you know what I mean. Right, I right. Remember... This one, it's like they all had the same. Like it, they all sounded very similar. Yeah, and now, of course, for someone who's Chinese, that they probably would have a different perspective on that because those names would be more common to them, where, of course, for us, it's like, okay, Yan Labu, who... Uh, I've never met anyone yeah, with exactly. that name. So the, so the movie, it takes place during the reign of an emperor, and I don't even remember what they... if they gave him a name or they just always called him the emperor... And is it just me, or does it look like this? Some of those sets may have come from Five Venoms. Possibly, especially like the training set. Um, you know where they not the training set, I guess the the barrack set that yeah, looked very similar. The uh, emperor, the emperor's uh, throne room that looked really familiar. So it wouldn't surprise me if they reused it. I don't know. Might have to go back and rewatch uh, Five Venoms just to double check on that. So you go ahead and do that. anyways so the emperor summons two characters named chen li and yan lebu and they inform him that the people are resentful of the emperor and of course the emperor 
uh, doesn't really like this. So as the two leave, he orders one of his, uh, I don't remember if they, they kept calling him. Yeah. uh, Z Kang to execute them after they leave. And then this is where one of the attendants, which I don't even remember if they give him a name or not, but it seems to be more of a lower ranking servant. He suggests that they use assassins because of course, you know, you don't want the emperor to look like he's, you know, killing his subjects. Right. And right. this is this is one thing that's weird. Now, when you watched the movie, did you turn the subtitles on or did you just watch the dub? I started them with the subtitles, but the subtitles were so different than the dub that I turned the subtitles off. Yeah, I noticed that, too. I watched it with the subtitles because that way it allowed me to keep, help keep the name straight. But, yeah, it I noticed that, too, where it's like they were saying I mean, they were saying different things, but it was close enough in meaning where you still get the same idea, but yeah, it made it a little tougher to watch the movie. Um, so, so I have a question. The Shaw Brothers, is that an American company? No, they're Chinese. Really? Where did they come up with a name like Shaw? I don't know, because I guess that it's not unusual for some Chinese to adopt uh, an English name just because it makes it a little easier. Like the ones I, well, like Jackie Chan, I'm sure right. that... You know, I'm sure that he, uh, you know, that Jackie is not his real first name. Bruce Lee is another example. Like I said, I'm sure they probably did it as just something that would make him more memorable to um, Western audiences. Help him help him sell help him sell movies. Yeah. So that's just my guess. So anyways, so now Zin Kang, he's tasked with finding a way to kill these people. And that's when he goes outside and goes for a little walk. And he gets some ideas while he's watching some street performers. So you remember there was the people like, you know, doing the little, uh, you know, like juggling plates on thin poles and stuff. So and that's when he gets this idea for this weapon, the flying guillotine, which could supposedly kill someone at 100 paces, they said. So an interesting little concept for a weapon, supposedly, you know, someone's just walking along and all of a sudden their head's gone. Right. But did you notice in some of the scenes, it's like the guillotine made a sound and people had recognized the sound. Like they're like, look out. That I didn't recognize. So I probably did that when later in the movie, when he's um, got the baby and the wife. And his the, the one guy comes to visit them, and they hear this sound, which I thought was just for the audience, so we knew it was coming. But he's like, do you hear that? Get down! And then they all get down, and they start, you know... And I mean, they still get his friend's head, but they don't get his head. Yeah, just, I'm, I may have missed that, because like I said, I was trying to take notes while watching the movie and trying to kind of half pay attention to the subtitles. So so after he invents it, he gives the emperor a demonstration by killing a poor defenseless dog. <laughs> okay, folks, um, before we get into this too much, yes, he kills a poor defenseless dog. But the body double, the, the, the scenes where they kill somebody are so bad. Yeah, I mean, they cut, they cut off the head, and then the bodies twitch for like ever. And, and there it's... was there was this one where I, after he killed one of the guys, 
uh, that, that appeared at the beginning, they switched to what would have been a first person view where they show the, the guy who just lost his head, you know, they show him like looking at it, they show his like hands and right. it's like, yeah. And I have to say the blood effects look like they use the same type of blood effects that they use during, uh, the, during, uh, five venoms. So, you know, kind of like, <laughs> Ugh, you me. know, that's okay. There's no excuse for you. Sure there is. No use of condom. <laughs> oh, you know, Chad, that was actually, well, then again, Pretty your family's, damn funny. yeah, well, it's kind of funny, but then again, your family's Catholic. They don't believe, they don't, well, I mean, Catholics, are they still in the whole like anti condom stuff? And it's hard to say these days. I, the Pope's like, uh, you shouldn't have more babies than you can have, uh, than you can use or take care of. But then again, I don't think contraception has been approved. Wow, we so, really, uh, we really uh, changed subjects there, going from uh, talking about people losing their heads to condoms. Right. Well, you know, if you go into Eastern Catholicism or Eastern Eastern Orthodox Catholicism, um, I believe they uh, they actually promote birth control as one of their things. So. Okay. Yeah. And we're in China, so you know. Okay, so back to the movie. Uh so after that the guy, uh Z Kang, he kills the dog with it. That's where the Emperor asks him to find twelve men to train them into the use of this weapon. And no pressure, of course, because if they fail, they and their families will be killed. Right. You know, I got to say this. The emperor was kind of a dick. Yes, he was. But aren't all emperors kind of dicks in a way? Well, I'd like to think when I become the benevolent dictator of the world, I will not be like that. I hope you're not like that either. Well, actually, the emperor in Mulan actually wasn't a dick. He was actually pretty cool. But yeah, the the emperor in Star Wars. He was a dick. Yeah, most emperors are when it comes to movies. Yeah, yeah. They get so, to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. So after uh, he gives this proclamation, they show them training with the flying guillotine. And, you know, they're just throwing it at these uh, wooden dummies and missing terribly. And, you know, I have to say, if anyone ever makes a remake of this movie, they'll de- have to do a montage in the spirit of uh, Mulan. I don't. Have you ever seen Mulan? It's been a lot of years, but yeah. You know, when they but have the... Training? Yeah, when montage. they have... Yeah, when they're playing the song, uh, I'll Make a Man Out of You. Yeah. Wouldn't that be kind of funny to watching, you know, the I'll Make You a Man or I'll Make a Man Out of You while they're watching people throw weapons designed to cut people's heads off? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the thing I didn't like about that scene and probably, I don't know what your thoughts were, but, you know, like the two guys on the second throw, they get get them on and they decapitate these dummies. And like, boom. There's people there from the emperor going, here's some gold, way to go. Yeah, the the two people who were the best, and you could kind of tell that these guys were going to be set up to be the main characters, were mm-hmm. Ma Tang and Z Tan Fu. So yeah, you kind of knew from the start these guys were going to be the you know the, the heroes of the story. Uh, if you can call right. assassins heroes, but... So depends on the type of assassin and we'll get to that later, but maybe some of them are heroes. Maybe they are. So the, I've played a neutral good assassin before. 
Wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. How can you be a new, neutral good assassins? Don't assassins have to be evil? What, what well, which, which version of D&D was this? It would have been 3-5, but when you have a DM and you explain what you want to do with your character and basically be a patsy for the state, they let you be a neutral good. Okay. Well, actually, one one example of an assassin or an assassin-like character I can think of that I wouldn't necessarily put as evil. Uh, you've probably seen the movie uh, Serenity, right? Oh, yeah. Well, the the operative in that one. Because, again, he some of the people I've talked about it would put him more at lawful neutral. Because, yes, he recognizes he's, these, these acts that he's doing and he realizes they're bad. But the way he sees it, he's doing it more for, you know, a higher good that's going to create better worlds. So should we see how many times we can get off track talking about this movie today? I'd rather not. I'd like to get through the movie so we can end this thing and I can give my review and then we can go our happy separate ways. Okay. So anyways, so after the these two, Ma Tang and Zitan Fu, are recognized by the emperor, Zitan Tain Fu goes to his room and this he's visited by a woman. So this is where we have our brief nudity in the movie. Uh, he begins to, you know, get intimate with her. And that's when he notices this tattoo on her chest. And that just like totally freaks him out. So I guess he was, cons- you know, maybe she was thought to be like one of the emperor's concubines or something. Yeah. I, I never quite, I didn't think they explained that very well. And then he goes to his buddy's room and he's like, Hey, I got to tell you what happened, but first I'm going to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause, um, Again, there was something about uh, the – well, also the thing that sent him running in fear is that after she introduces herself as Wan Chu, um, she says the emperor sent, sent her instead of gold because he wasn't an Enuk. And that seems to be the thing that set him off that made him go running in fear, which I'm I'm wondering if he was concerned that, like, you know, this emperor, he, you know – I forgot what they call when they make someone an Enuk uh, emasculation or something where they basically, you know, cut off the testicles, cut off the testicles. And uh, actually, I think depending on the uh, the the practice, sometimes they even just cut everything down there off. OK, I you know, I've heard that, but how, I'm sorry, but this is the question that always boggled my mind about that. How do you pee? They're still they'd still leave a hole. Well, I know, but you can't aim or nothing. You just kind of got to raise your robes and just hope for the best. <laughs> Go outside and find a friendly tree and aim for that. So, but yeah. And, you know, and of course, you know, one of the reasons that the usually Enukes would have in some parts of the ancient world would have such a um, high positions is because, well, since they did, lacked the equipment to go, um, you know, having fun with the emperor's concubines, that was one of the reasons they were usually given the position as um, harem guards. Though, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't the Catholic Church back then, they they castrated boys so they could retain their high-pitched youthful voices? It was, it was, <laughs> I don't think it was, I don't think it was the Catholic Church. I thought it was. The Romans but... did. Possibly, I, not that I'm aware of. I know the Romans did such things. Um, I know that the Vienna's Boys Choir supposedly did that practice at one time, 
to keep their sopranos and such from their voices changing. Yeah. But I don't know. I, you could be right. I just don't know. I, that's what I heard. It's like the term was castrati or something, which, again, that's where they would castrate these boys while they're young. Um, so that way they couldn't, you know, they would retain those youthful, angelic voices all the way to adulthood. Right, because all the testosterone goes away. Yep. So, again, he, uh, his friend finds it kind of, Ma Tang finds it kind of weird, of course, that his friend got scared about that. But, again, the movie goes on, and then uh, this is where, you know, again, they've been doing some more training, and Zin Kang, he does another demonstration because the emperor's like, well, what if the weapon is blocked? And they do this demonstration where he throws it at, I think it was Ma Tang, uh, you know, holding, yeah, I think yeah, so. holding a sword and it showed, okay, the sword would, you know, would break and it would still, you know, it could still be dangerous even if it missed. So, and this is where, again, we uh, actually wouldn't have been taking too much longer later because remember the emperor asks Zay Tang Fu how he liked his present. And of course, that's when he starts groveling before him. Mm-hmm. And this is an example of where the dubbing and the subbing didn't mix because it's like, I think the the dubbing, one of them was like saying like he was really grateful and thankful for it. But then the other one was like, you know, no, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Or it's like, yeah, it was just like I said, just one of those things where they weren't very careful with how they subbed and how they dubbed. Right. Um. I... You know, I know that in ancient China, they, they kowtowed. Yeah. And this, very early in the movie, I'm kind of stepping back here. Um, the guy who invents the weapon, basically his life was put at risk if he didn't come up with a weapon to, to you know, do this or whatever. And he kowtows so hard that he's like, his forehead is bleeding. Yeah, because, um, yeah, a lot of Asian cultures, because I know... um. Again, in Japan also, they're very big on, uh, you know, the, the respect and, you know, the right. deference that you would show towards, you know, an emperor or someone in power. Uh, one YouTube series I watch, uh, Gaijin Goomba, he has one where he was talking about uh, Japanese and how there's like different forms of the language that are used for, you know, like a day-to-day conversation. But then there's business Japanese where, you know, there's your language, how you use it just changes entirely when you're in a business setting, you know, especially when you are, you know, greeting your boss or your supervisor. Um, but anyways, so as we move on with the movie, then this is where we meet another guy who you kind of get the image picture is going to be uh, one of the antagonists. And that is Zoo, because Ma Tang, we show him, he's practicing with his... uh you know, his guillotine and he's doing it blindfolded and he almost kills another assassin. So they get into a fight and I don't know. I actually thought it was an entertaining fight scene. What did you think? It was, um, they actually did some martial arts there, uh, which are kind of from a, from a Kung Fu movie. They're kind of lacking in the amount of actual martial arts done. And it's because of the storyline of this flying guillotine, but I think there's maybe two or three Kung Fu scenes in the whole thing. Yeah, and I mean, and there's there's a few, but again, it takes a bit more. I always thought it took a little bit more realistic approach than Five Venoms did. And again, there's different styles of uh, of Chinese cinema or Kung Fu movies where, yeah, you've got some where they do focus on, you know, more realism, realism, 
at least they try to be realistic. And then you've got other forms where, you know, that's where they do like the rope work, like you crouching tiger, hidden dragon, um, you know, where the, well, what was the, what was the old TV series with, uh, Kung Carradine? Fu. Kung Fu theater, right? Just Kung Fu. And then, um, in the nineties, they tried to revive it. They had Kung Fu, the legend returns or the legend continues. Oh, I didn't even know about that, but I, I always, you know, that was on Saturday afternoon or something, and I'm watching it from time to time. But when I think of kung fu movies, that's kind of what I think of. You know, this guy who's kind of like the master, and he's kind of, uh, you know, kind of laid back and whatever. Um, and then, you know, things cause him to do his kung fu or whatever. And that's always, I guess, the way I kind of look at it. And this was a very hard movie to follow for me. Yeah, the plot was, I, I agree with you, the plot was a little harder to follow in some places than Five Venoms was. But, I mean, the basic plot is, oh my God, Martang betrayed the Emperor, go kill yeah, him. Yeah, because um, what happens after during their fight, and you could kind of almost foresee this as being a plot device, um, Ma Tang had a Jade Buddha necklace he wore, that was a gift from his mother. And during his deceased yep, mother, yep, it's important. And during the fight, the necklace falls off, and uh, Zeus steps on it. But you know, the fight eventually gets broken up, and this is where afterwards Zeus meets with the Emperor, claiming that Ma Tang is rebellious. So, shortly after they're right. given their first mission, and that was to kill one of the I forgot if they were ambassador, well, they weren't ambassadors, the you know, just these statesmen that. We saw at the beginning in the movie. Yeah, they were still- Yeah, they were given their first one, their first mission to kill Chen Lai. And after that, they kill uh, Yan Lebu. So I don't know. I thought the assassination um, scenes there, you know, they were interesting. I mean, it showed them trying to sneak around and stuff. Right. I, I found them to be interesting as well. Um, the biggest problem I had with them are they are the worst sneakers for. <laughs> for you know this type of movie they are like loud and they just stomp around and nobody notices it's it's the funniest they're thing monks not not thieves well i suppose they could you could well i know they're monks but if you're trying to assassinate somebody you a ninja aren't you gonna try to be well, you, you send a ninja and maybe they weren't really ninjas I didn't call them ninjas. I just said that if you're trying to assassinate somebody, don't you want to yes, be quiet? Yes, you actually do. So, well, after they kill them, this is where Zi, Tan Fu, and Ma Tang, they seem to show regret. Because during the funerals, they noticed that there were people crying, and both men were known to be patriots. So that's where Zhu, you know, you kind of get the impression that before he was just doing it, because he probably, you know, wanted, you know, he he wasn't happy with Ma Tang for getting in that fight with him. So he wanted the hope the emperor would kill them. So it's kind of like, well, it almost mm-hmm. becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And now he's going to get his wish. So after this, that's when the emperor orders Zi Tain Fu and uh, Wan Zhu to be assassinated. So, and it's kind of sad. I mean, you know, that woman, she didn't do anything. And I said, she was probably just one of the emperor's concubines. Right. And then this is where Ma Tang fights his way out of the compound and pole vaults out. And then the... 
of a freshly cut bamboo yep. stock. <laughs> you think that's unrealistic or? I do. Um, but only because green bamboo is really stiff and to actually pull to, to pull vault, you got to have some give in the stick. Otherwise it doesn't quite work. And I don't know if you caught it as you went over the, over the wall. That was the worst editing job I've ever seen. No, in a movie. I didn't catch that. And you know, but I caught those. It was bad. Well, well okay. What happened that uh, showed bad editing? Well, he went up, um, and when he started to come down first, he was in front of the wall and then he just popped behind the wall. It was just really, it was really bad. Yeah, maybe I was uh, looking at my keyboard to take notes at that because, but then again, remember I did catch those editing errors in uh, Troy the Odyssey. Yes. So, okay, a fight, you know, that archery scene where it was obviously scripted by someone who has no idea how to use a bow. But anyways. Right. See, and I did not catch that one. So, you know, it's just. Yeah, and I think sometimes when we do look at uh, things in movies, a lot of times, um, you know, how familiar we are with the subject, that can really change your perspective on things. Like I said, in my case, having had experience teaching archery, I kind of picked up on that. And, um, you know, also sometimes with... My only experience my only experience with pole vaulting is I love to watch it. Okay. I've never, I've never done it. Um, I've always been kind of big boned <laughs> for that. Okay. And then, you know, again, and also maybe one of the reasons I like watching all these older martial arts films is since I actually have some experience in Kung Fu and other martial arts, again, I take a different mm-hmm. perspective at it when I look at it than someone who maybe doesn't have, you know, any sort of a martial arts background. But anyways, so Ma Tang, he manages to escape the compound and the emperor, being a dick, of course, he orders all the assassin's families to be imprisoned until Ma Tang is found. So this is, uh, it doesn't really say how far it is. It's probably a couple days later, but so Ma Tang, after escaping, stops at an inn and also, of course, two of the people looking for him also stop by and they're followed in by a woman Mm -hmm. who was playing a song before and she distracts the other guards while the two assassins fight Ma Tang. Now, did you pay attention much to the song that she was singing? At least the, the sub, well, that's right. You. I noticed I noticed that they did not translate the song into well, English. Well, they had the subtitles. Yeah, the subtitles they did have um the you know the meanings down there. Oh, yeah. did they? Well, you probably turned the subtitles off at this time. But here's one of those Oh, long before. That. <laughs> well, here's something interesting. I think I was I think I was about 5 or 6 minutes in when I turned yeah. off the subtitles. They just I couldn't do Well, both. if you had the subtitles on, one of the lines you may have caught in the song that she was singing uh, she mentions a wife with big feet. So do you know what that is referring to? Not my wife. I I have no idea. <laughs> well, in, in the context here, it's a little thing of, cha- uh, it's referring to something in Chinese culture. Uh, women, well, large feet were seen to be kind of crude or oafish. And there was a practice in China um, foot yep, binding. foot binding. You so you're familiar with that or have heard of it? I have, and I've seen pictures, and it's horrendous. Yes, do not do a Google search for uh, for foot binding if you've recently eaten. But basically, what they do is they manipulate when the when a girl is young, they will bind her foot and try to like 
break the bones and get it to shape in such a way that her feet are like small, like just a, a lotus flower. And that's because back then this was a, a status symbol among upper class women, because if you had these, you know, tiny little feet, it meant that you didn't have to work. And, you know, because you had you were wealthy enough that your husband could support you. And I guess it was also uh, somewhat of a social status for a man because it's like, hey, look at how small and my wife's feet are. That means I make so much money that she doesn't have to work and I can take care of her. But of course, if you have big, your wife has big feet, that means she probably has to go to work. You know, so, of course, back then that would have been working out in the fields or whatnot, but. Honestly, I'll take a wife that has to work over someone who can't walk. That is true. So Ma Tang and the woman, uh, they hide in an old temple to recover because, uh, well. Before you get to that, I want to talk about that song. Okay. She started singing the song to distract the other people. Did you notice that song lasted just a scotch longer than it took him to kill two people? I know they ended around the same time, but I didn't notice that it was just so it's like she was almost aware of what was going on. Right. It was it was kind of funny because that wasn't the only place. There was other places where fights were going on and there was distractions happening. And they lasted just long enough for the fight to be over. <laughs> Plot device. Suspend your I know, disbelief. But it's, it's, it's those things that keep you from getting fully immersed into a show. Yeah. At least for me. That's that's true. So, yeah, he takes out two of the assassins, and as as you notice, they, uh, you know, last just long enough for them to escape. The song lasts just long enough for him to escape, and, you know, of course, Mei Tang is uh, wounded during the fight, and that's when, again, as they leave, the woman informs Ma Tang that the emperor has been having innocent people arrested and killed. So, again, it turns out his hunch about the emperor's true character was correct. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point, the assassins, they're told to work in disguise and in pairs, because if one deserts, the others are going to be captured. And, of course, right. if you've got that distinctive black uniform, you know, it's going to make what you... What is the difference between the red uniforms with black trim and the black uniforms with red trim? I never quite figured that out either. I think the one with the red trim was probably just the regular guards, while the black uniform was for these elite assassin guards. Okay, okay. So... I kind of figured it was something like that, but I, they never really explained. All of a sudden, they're just searching this city, and there's there's ones in the red robes with the black trim, and then there's the 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 assassins in the black robes with the red trim. Mm-hmm. Well, so. but as the when Z Kang he tells his assassins to go find him, but tells him that the emperor wants him alive. Am I the only one that had the thinking of Darth Vader when he said that? Uh, yes. <laughs> you weren't at least out of the that... two of us. That did not cross my mind, but I get where you're going with that. Yeah, because wasn't it in? Because uh, I know in a New Hope, I don't think he said you know the Emperor wants him alive, but it's like, well, actually, no, I think he did say it in that one. I know he said it in uh, Empire Strikes Back because remember he points at Boba Fett. He's like, no disintegration. Well, I know at one point in one of the shows, and I, and I'm not that big of a Star Wars guy, so I don't know which one, but he's like. Bring him to me, but alive. Yep. So anyways, um, so the two of the of the, the assassins, uh, I think Zhu Kang may have been one of them, they consult a fortune teller who informs him of possible danger. 
and they leave without telling the fortune teller his money. Well, that's not going to come back and bite them in the ass later in the movie, is it? No. So this is where, and this is from here, this is where I think the movie does get a little harder to follow. I generally don't like it when movies just kind of jump really far into the future. Um, unless it's you. like Okay, so you noticed that too. It was driving me nuts. All of a sudden, he's been a farmer for nine months and his wife's pregnant. And it's like, yep. What the hell? Who? How? And then it jumps well, like another two years because now they have a toddler. Well, it's like, Chad, yeah. Chad, you have two kids. You should know how she got pregnant. Oh, I know how she got pregnant. <laughs> But I'm, what I'm saying by how is how did they avoid being caught captured for this year? Yeah, just giving you crap, bro. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then and then they find him. He beats up a couple more assassins, and then it's like another two years because now they have this toddler that's two or three years old, and that is the yeah. fattest cheese baby I've ever seen, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, you're right because um about a year passes because and we find out the woman's name is Ya Ping, and they've settled down. She's pregnant. And, of course, the assassins attack while his wife is giving birth. Um, of and, of course, of course, and, of course, he defeats them just in time uh, using their flying guillotine against them. However, of course, they have to flee. And, of course, Zhu Kang arrives shortly afterwards. However, back at the Imperial base, uh, the... <laughs> oh, sorry. Has... I, was, I went right to Star Wars. You're like, back at the Imperial base. Back at the Imperial base, yes. <laughs> so that's where um, another one of these assassins, Akun, informs the Emperor that he suspects Z Kang of being a traitor. A lot of that going around, everyone uh, accusing Point everyone. Of... Yeah, it's almost kind of like McCarthyism back in ancient China. I've got a list of known traitors! Yeah. And meanwhile, <laughs> at the Hall of Justice. <laughs> so anyways. So... Um, and the reason he's suspecting this, and this is where, because again, and actually I did kind of like this in the movie, how some, you know, you had those things that were kind of like, at first looked like uh, they were just minor items, or just background things, actually had these plots later, points later on in the movie. Because this is where he brings that, um, you know, that message that the fortune teller wrote for Zhu Kang, and says that the characters there mean off with the king's head. So that's where, again, it was, they were misinterpreting what the fortune teller was telling them. So again, right. they came. Well, I think they were doing that on purpose, honestly. Yeah. Um, nice handy plot device. Does, it, does the emperor not read? Can he not read? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Because he's like, he's like, tell me what it says. It's like, read it, dumbass. <laughs> well, just but maybe he can read. He's just not very good at the comprehension part. Maybe I, I I would not make it well as a assassin for the king because I'd be like, listen, dumbass, <laughs> I brought you here. It, it's in black and white. Read it. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe it's something with the Chinese characters because I know neither of us speaks or reads Chinese. But anyways. So that's where they get the fortune teller, and of course they torture him. Mm -hmm. um, and again, this is where it, it jumps ahead again a couple years, because as you were mentioning before, now the child is old enough to walk. And so two of the assassins almost run over his son, um, and one of them 
Liu Pang recognizes and takes the Jade Buddha because that, um, you know, somehow fell off the child's necklace well or neck while the mother no, was No, he ripped it off. Pulled oh, it off. did? Yeah. Okay, that I don't, okay, I don't remember. So that's another thing that you notice that I didn't. So this is where Z Kang then meets with Akun at an inn where Akun reveals that he has been instructed to kill him. And Zhu Kang, in a poetic justice, of course, gets killed by the very weapon he invented. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a shitty way to go. Yes, it does. And I'm sure that's been used in other um, movies where, again, someone gets killed by something like, uh, you know, according to legend, you've probably heard of the, the torture device, uh, the, braze, the bronze bowl yep. or brazen bowl. Yeah, supposedly the guy who invented that, he was the first person to get killed by it, too. Oh, the guy who invented the guillotine eventually went to the guillotine. Memo to self, don't invent, don't ever invent any weapons or someone might kill you with them. Right? Yep. <laughs> so Lou returns to the Jade Buddha to Ma, and this is where they have their little heart-to-heart bro talk. So you knew, of course, that, yeah, Lou was going to die. Right. Because Zhu comes along, of course he kills him. Um, and I thought it was kind of cool. They had the thing where they threw their guillotines at each other and they broke as they struck each other. They exploded, yeah. That was kind of cool. Yeah. And then Zhu and Ma fight. Zhu tries to take the kid. Fortunately, some of the other farmers help out and they help Ma get his son back. Right. Um, so, you know, Yi and Ma flee because, of course, they realize the Emperor's men aren't far behind. And, of course, Ma fights off a bunch of the Emperor's men um, and single-handedly and actually throws a sword through one of them come on yes, that was kind of cool like, at like 30 paces you got to at least have liked that part i i actually you will find out there are bits and pieces that i like throughout the entire movie mm-hmm. so there's so, also things that great on me yes as i think we've touched on a couple of them before how like again it was kept skipping forward so so after escaping uh Ma hires some blacksmiths to help him make a weapon because it seems he has this idea of a weapon that could counter the the flying guillotine. And while the work, the blacksmiths are taking a break, one of them recognizes from him from the wanted poster. And of course, two of the assassins overhear this and try to kill him. Right. So this is where Ma reveals his weapon. It looks like an umbrella with a with a spear on the end. Yes, more or less. A metal umbrella. With a spear at the end. Yeah. That would actually be kind of cool if you think about it, because not only could it keep you dry, if you needed to stab someone in the chest, you could. Well, the way they used it in the movie, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I did. One of the flying guillotines get thrown at him, and he, like, pushes this device into the guillotine and opens it up. It then closes its thing, cuts off the the spear portion. And when the guy pulls it back to himself, he spears himself. Yeah. It was amazing. I did like the concept that he was doing with the, uh, again, cause he was an expert at using this weapon. Mm-hmm. So of course he, um, you know, of course he would think of ways to counter it. So I thought that was actually pretty cool. I agree. So, I agree. So anyways, uh, his weapon, unfortunately his weapon gets destroyed, but he still manages to defeat the two assassins and three more show up and chase him down. Uh, he takes out two of them and leading to a showdown with Akun, 
who of course he defeats using the guillotine. So this is where the movie ends, where he reunites with Ma and they resume their life on the run. But there's guillotine or uh, what? Are, what's it called? Uh, throwing master guillotine. of the flying. I think it was called like master of the flying guillotine. Yeah, it's because I but know there's there a is a two. There's a yep. part two. So, your thoughts on the movie? So first, I know you said there were a few things that graded upon you. Well, one was the way it jumped time, mm-hmm. because you went through this movie that was all linear, and then without any warning, it's a year ahead. And then it's two years ahead or three years ahead or whatever it is. And that kind of, it grates on me in the way that they didn't transition in any way. They didn't have a a screen that showed time traveling or anything. It just, and you're supposed to understand it. Yeah. And, and I'm like, <laughs> I was sitting there watching it with my wife. And I'm like, how did she get pregnant? And she looked at me and she said, you know how she got pregnant. I mean, no, but I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, you know, where did the time go? You know, yeah, um, exactly. that really graded on me. Some of the special effects were now granted it was 1975 and they were yeah, probably yeah. pretty damn cool in 1975. But what we have to today, some of the stuff, some of the special effects was just, it was bad, you know? Yeah. Um, that's true. Overall, I mean, Overall, I enjoyed the movie. Um, I found it to be lacking as a quote-unquote kung fu movie. But it was a decent foreign film as far as I'm concerned. Um, I enjoyed um, the, you know, the, the scenes of the Emperor. They, they didn't really unveil too much about the Emperor, just that he was this shadowy bad guy. And he you was know, a I kind of like that. Because he's the ultimate bad guy, and he's the guy I see dying in Guillotine too, you know. Um, yeah. And I enjoyed uh, some of the interaction between, especially between uh, uh, Tang and his wife, um, Mei Tang and his wife. I thought some of that was really kind of cool. I thought there was some humor in there, like when he went to get the the uh, um, the birthing nurse, the, uh, the midwife, and he's pounding on the door and some guy's yelling at him and he keeps pounding on the door <laughs> and he throws water at him. Uh, that was probably a chamber pot. So I doubt there was water in there. Well, it looked like water, but you're probably <laughs> right. It was probably a chamber pot. Yes. And then he just kind of sat on the stoop waiting for the, <laughs> the wet nurse to come home Yep. or the, uh, the, uh, midwife to come home. And then they go back, and then of course that breaks out into a another thing where the birth. What? How was this midwife trying to help her birth? She was like hanging from the ceiling by her hands, and the midwife's wrapped around her stomach, right above where the baby is, and she's like pulling down. And I'm like, is that how they gave birth in ancient China? Because possibly, damn. I mean, I mean the standing position, you know, that's supposed to of course help gravity do the work, and right. Um, but did you notice the 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 midwife like hanging on her, like pushing down on her stomach? And I'm like, seems odd. Yeah, that, like I said, uh, birthing technology has come a long way. Yeah. Um, you know, I really enjoyed the final fight. I thought that was well choreographed for the most part. And um, 
you know, overall, we do these on a rating of five, don't we? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'd i give this a solid three. Yeah, I'm about the same. I did like some of the fight scenes, and I agree. The ones towards the end were, were a bit better, um, especially where it shows uh, Ma Tang fighting a bunch of guys off on his own, and they're not using the guillotine. He's actually using Kung Fu. Now, mm-hmm. one of the things that does bother me, again, we both agree that we don't really like it, how it just kind of randomly jumps forward here and there. But I guess right. the thing that also kind of bothers me with the end, and I guess, of course, just leaves it open for a sequel, not much is really resolved in the end. Um, right. You know, Ma and Ye, they still are on the run, and the Emperor still in power. Um, we don't give any hints that, uh, you know, there were planning a sequel, which, of course, we you know, know that there was one. But, well, but then again, I mean, Darth Vader... Well, at the end of New Hope, I mean, you can kind of guess he was in danger because his TIE fighter goes spinning off. Um, right. But, yeah, I mean, overall, I said I would give it about a three. It wasn't bad. I enjoyed Five Venoms a lot more. Um, See, this one... I'm just the opposite. Five Venom, I, I remember I did not rate it well. I think I gave it like a one and a half or maybe a one. So you liked this and... one better than Five Venoms. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I I will put this out there. I'm even willing to sit down and watch part two and see what happens because I I'm hoping the the um, emperor gets his. Yeah. So since let's talk about one of the earlier movies that we reviewed together, Revenge of the Bridesmaids. So that <laughs> seems to be that seems to be our standard for judging Horrible. bad movies. So you, yes. you would say that uh, this movie is better than Revenge of the Bridesmaids? Yes, but I think I made... I, I don't know if I rated it the same as Five Venoms or are um, lower than Five Venoms. I can't remember. But... Probably You probably rated it higher because I don't think either of us gave it anything over a one because... Right. As I recall with Five Ven with not Five Venoms, um Revenge of the Bridesmaids, it's like it had no point. It's like it just felt unsatisfying. So, yeah, it was. It was it was a horrible movie. I have to admit, I picked that movie, but it was horrible. So since both of us, of course, being gamers and game masters, did you glean any interesting ideas that you might want to use in a campaign from this uh movie? Well, you know, it just so happens that over there on my shelf I have an El Cadium book. And I, um, I think I might do something with it. Yeah, because I do. I think it, it would be interesting having this assassin with an exotic weapon. Now, your players might not. I mean, I'm not sure how you'd stat out a flying guillotine. I guess I would assume that. Okay, if you, the only way you could actually get it over the head is with a natural twenty. Um, I mean, if you hit, maybe it does some damage because it hit with like the the saw blades at the at the right. end. Right, I would I would probably give it a nineteen twenty crit range, um, just because it's going to be really kick ass. Yeah, and I would also have to say probably uh, would need a dex check or something to operate the you know to do the actual uh, yeah assassination the part. Thing, it's one thing. Well, and you know. And I remember in second edition, because that's where I would run this. If there was, if you had a, if you had a finalize your crit, if you had to 
you know, no. world again. No, not in, it was yeah. just... Second edition um, didn't have an established critical hit system, and they address this, I think, in the... I forgot if the Player's Handbook or the Dungeon Master's Guide, but they suggested that, okay, a natural 20 automatically hits and, you know, maybe right. do double damage. Because as they put in the book, it's great fun to have your 10th level fighter slay a dragon with one hit, but on the other hand, it's not as fun to have a goblin kill the same fighter because of a, a, a natural 20. So... Yeah, second edition didn't have an official critical hit system. I mean, then I, know I would that... definitely put a, I definitely put a dex check on it or something of that nature, in order to activate the guillotine. Yeah, because you know you gotta pull it, I guess, or you know that stri- that uh, chain at just the right time. But yeah, so I mean, I could see that would be interesting, but you'd really have to know your group and whether you think they'd be able to handle. Okay, you know, you've got this. I mean, maybe demonstrate the weapon on an NPC um, so they understand that, okay, if this guy hits us with this weapon, we're probably going to die. Right. Because, I mean, I know some players, I've had some players over the years that take their death, you know, take character deaths really hard. We do here, too. I mean, man, a character dies. It'll take us like 15 minutes to make a new one. And that whole time we mourn our character. (laughs) Well, as one guy I used to game with, or when I led him through Tomb of Horrors, the way he said it was, Tomb of Horrors teaches you not to get attached to a character. I would agree with that. And on that thought, so, any closing words for today's episode? Just what, 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 um, no. <laughs> I don't know what I was going to ask you, it's gone. Uh, uh, no, but uh, I'm doing LinkCon this weekend. Oh, where's that? Uh, which is, it's in Merrill. It's a video game convention, kind of, okay. sort of, mostly. Uh, but we're going to go up. We're going to take uh, Point of Insanity with us, and we've got a booth up there and that kind of stuff. So, Oh, okay. That's cool. I've never heard of that one before, so might have to check it out one of these years. There's Yeah, it's go, like... well, go on Facebook and look at LinkCon18, LinkCon, uh, and you'll see the nice little post that we put up there about the the convention and stuff and um but other than that saturday i'm moving my daughter into college you're old sunday i'll be at LinkCon. so yeah it's gonna be a busy weekend for me how about you yeah um i probably have to work overtime this coming saturday but like i said uh other than that i don't think we really have any plans so i mean you know what you know you're you're mentioning you're moving one of your daughters into college and after labor day my son's going into middle school so we're, we feel old. My, my youngest starts senior high or starts her senior year at high school. Yeah. So too <laughs> old. So anyways, uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. Two old guys signing off here and, uh, thanks for joining us and have a good, have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are and happy movie watching. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at poigamestudio.
Do you do a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons, role-playing games, video games, or other topics of geek interest? Would you like to cross-promote your podcast on geekery in general? Then drop us a line on our Facebook page at POI Game Studio or POI Network, or contact us through our website at POIGamestudio.com and we'll set something up. 